Well, this morning we are going to be in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, if you have a Bible you want to get on over there. Uh, if you've got a smartphone, I imagine you probably do, uh, you can go ahead and go to the Charles River Church app and we've got the Bible on there as well, along with all kinds of other resources uh, there for you. But Luke chapter 22, we're going to look at 7 through uh, 23 this morning and just a great, great text. And uh, a few weeks ago I got up here and I shared with you what, what for many of you was your favorite sermon because I got up here and I was talking about rest and I said, you need to go and sleep. And you guys loved that sermon. You just thought that was a great, great sermon. And I, I think that maybe this morning I could actually, uh, I, I, I might be able to do one better because the call this morning is you need to go and eat. Can I get an amen for that? Yeah, all right, that's what I thought. You can, you can get permission from God to go eat. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19 says that Jesus came eating and drinking. Anybody want to be Christ-like? I thought so. Like, I want to be like Jesus, Then that's the call here we're in. So I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, what we're looking at this morning, uh, I think, is, is we're going to look at some realities and some practices that if we would grasp them as a people, it would change our lives in a deep way. But I also believe that it would change our communities in, in a very deep and rich way. And so I'm calling uh, the message this morning, The Table. The table. And, and the big idea here is that there is something beautiful, something powerful, even maybe even mystical about the table. My wife and I, we love practicing hospitality, and every Christian is called to practice hospitality, but I think you would agree that there are some people that are just kind of uniquely gifted by the Spirit of God uh, with hospitality, and that would be uh, my wife. And I tend to think of the, the rooms in our, our house, the first floor at least, uh, in, in stages, right? There are four quadrants for those of you guys who have been in my house. And on the first floor, uh, you have, uh, first is the entryway, right? This is where we, we greet people. People, from trick-or-treaters this past week to the mailman to, to many of you guys as, as you come over. And we want you to know when the door is open that you're going to be cared for, that you're loved, that we're glad to see your faces. But, but many people don't go past this room, right? The, the UPS man has never gone past that room, praise the Lord. And, and, and parents, uh, parents, I'm getting myself into trouble here. Parents uh, will, will come and pick up their kids from playdates, and, and they don't oftentimes go past that room. The, the, the solar panel salesman who keeps coming back year after year after year, he's never gone past that room. But for other people, uh, you get invited past that room and into the living room. Hey, come on in, grab a seat. You sit down. It's a little more comfortable. You got cush seats. We hang out. We talk. We, we start to get to know each other a little bit more. It's, it's a place of being social. It's a place of interacting. We want you to be comfortable again on a deeper level know that you're loved and, and, and welcome but but for others you go even past that and, and and you're invited to move from the living room into the the dining room and and you're going to sit at the table with us and, and we're going to have a meal together and we're going to talk and we're going to connect and we're going to commune essentially together now what I want you to notice is that when you get to this stage when you get to this quadrant in our house or in your house as you're thinking about this process perhaps in in your place at this place hospitality costs something at the table hospitality 
costs something. Your grocery bill is now being affected. I'm not, I'm not arguing. I'm not complaining. It's just, yeah, that's the reality, right? For others to eat with you, it's going to cost you a little something. It's a gesture of, I'm happy to provide for you. It's a gesture of, I want you to sit alongside of my family as if you are family. And so the table is beautiful. The table is powerful. The table is even biblically mystical because for the Christian, this gesture is motivated by Jesus, that Jesus has set the proverbial table for us, the Lord's table, the communion table, and it has cost him something, right? It's cost him his life. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was pierced and, and nailed to the cross for you. The, 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 the wine represents the blood of Jesus that was shed all the way back in the Old Testament. Leviticus tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness or release from, from sins. And so it cost Jesus something. It cost him his life. And so for those people who receive the provision of Jesus, what he has set before you at the table, you can be made right with God. Then you can be brought into the family of God and treated as family, treated as a son or a daughter of God and get all the benefits of being seated at the table of God with God as your father, right? The, the table can revolutionize your life when you're seated at table with Jesus, right? But it can also revolutionize our neighborhoods because there is a fourth room in that quadrant for us. It's the kitchen, the, the kitchen. And, and when you get to the kitchen in my place, you've come full circle. Some of you, you come over and you're so gracious and you stand up from the, the table and you insist, oh, let me help you clear the, let, me, let me help you clear the table. Or, hey, can I help with the, the dishes? And, and what you're thinking is, I want to I clean things up. I want to get it ready for the next person to come and, and to go through this process. And maybe even someone else. And, and maybe even someone else. And some of you guys say, you know what? Next time, I'm going to come early. You're, we're hosting people beyond just one other family or couple or person. We're, we're hosting a number of people. I'll come early. Can I help you get things set up? Can I help prepare some of the food? Can I help welcome people? And, and, and then some of you even say, you know what? This is really, this has really blessed me. And so, you know what? I want to host as, as I have been hosted. And so next time, it's at my place. My my kitchen, I'm cooking, I'm preparing, my table, right? Now, let me be really upfront and honest this morning as you think through those, those four quadrants. What I'm asking for this morning, to be real straight up this morning, is, is I'm asking, I'm praying that every single one of us will sit at the table and move to the kitchen. I'm, I'm praying that every single one of us will, will find a seat at the table and then stand up and, and move to the kitchen. That is to sit with Jesus and, and, and to be brought in to that relationship with Jesus and then to help others be brought into that relationship with Jesus by allowing your table, whatever that looks like, to be an extension of his table. Maybe your table is your dining room and, and you have the opportunity to host some people. Maybe your table is, you know what, my place isn't set up for that, but, but maybe your table is a coffee shop. And you can connect with some people and, 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 and just get to know them and, and show God's love to them. Maybe your table is your favorite restaurant. Maybe it's that bar and you can bring your, your people and you can connect with them and show the love of, of Jesus to them. Maybe, maybe it's those tables in the connections area back there and you come early and you help set up this place and join one of our reach teams so that you can help us as a, as a collective church to be hospitable and welcome our neighborhood into a public school in a very warm and hospitable and, and loving way. I, I'm praying 
willing to be up front that we will all be able to sit at the table that Jesus has prepared for us and to move to the kitchen. So that's where we're, that's where we're going. And so let's look at Jesus' table uh, together. So Luke chapter 22, as I told you before, Luke chapter 22, and uh, we're going to get at uh, verse 7, if you want to look at it with me. Luke 22, verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, that's Jerusalem, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the, gr- the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. So what we have is we have Passover and Jesus has made arrangements for Passover meal with his disciples. He's made the the provisions and his disciples are going to celebrate with him uh, at this table that Jesus has uh, set aside as depicted by Leonardo da Vinci. Now I want you to understand uh, that that, this is really important to note that he didn't just do it alone but Jesus brought other people in. He brought these two disciples in, right? Peter and John, two of his closest disciples. And and he says, I want you to be a part of this. And he wants them to see that this is no small task, preparing for the the Passover. This is not a small task at all. In fact, uh, preparing the meal would involve getting a lamb. It would involve uh, getting the lamb to the temple and having the lamb sacrificed. It would involve roasting the lamb. It would involve uh, preparing side dishes. It would involve finding the, the room that was appropriate. All these guys left their homes and their families and they uh, journeyed with Jesus for, for three years. And so find a place where you can prepare all of this. Jesus tells them for the room, what you're going to do is you're going to go into the city. You're going to go into Jerusalem. And when you get inside, you're going to see a man carrying a jar of water. Now, is there a lot of men carrying jars of water? No, there's not. Men carrying jars of water would be very distinct because that was a job that women did in that day. The women retrieved the water from the well and brought it back. And so you're going to find a man, and that's how you'll know. You follow the man who will be looking for you into the house that he enters. He says, you don't say anything. You just follow this man, go into the house that he enters, and then you can speak. Then you find the master of the house, and you say the teacher wants that guest room that he had been talking about, and then he's going to bring you to a room and uh, that's where you're going to go and you're going to prepare the meal. It's a pretty covert operation, right? Because they are looking for Jesus at this point. They're looking to kill him, take him out. And, and so it's a covert operation. Follow the guy with the water, the guy with the water. Don't say anything until you get to the house. When you get to the house, then you get up there and you, you, you get in the room and you prepare the meal. It's, it's some, some planning on Jesus's part and on Peter and John's part. These details then take place just as Jesus said. Now, why is Jesus so concerned with this particular meal that we're, we're reading about here. It's because this particular meal is rich with meaning, past and present in that moment and in the future. It's a very historically pivotal meal. Functionally, this is Jesus' last meal with his disciples. It's also Jesus' last meal, period, before his death. So it is a 
huge, very important meal. This meal, rich, rich, rich with meaning. It was a celebration of the Passover meal, which was this annual meal of remembrance from God freeing his people, uh, the Jewish people, from slavery in Egypt. And, and Jesus is now going to change the Passover meal and, and what it's speaking to. It's going to transition this historical meal to be a remembrance of, yes, that and the blood that was shed, but ultimately the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross that's about to happen in a few short days that would then become known as the Lord's table or communion or Eucharist, depending on what tradition uh, you grew up in. And so Jesus has gone through great lengths to prepare this meal for his disciples in that day, but also for his future disciples today who would follow him in faith. So let's read on now. Look at verse 14. It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Sits down at table. All the extensive operations to get this table taken care of. And he sits down at table and the very first thing he says to them, he looks at his disciples who are across from him at the table and he says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I go to suffer. He knows he's about to suffer. He doesn't say, I have desired to eat this Passover. It's so important. There's so rich uh, depth of meaning in this meal. I just, I just want to eat it. I want to honor just the Father alone. I just, I just desire to eat the Passover and remember all that he's done. What does he say? He says, I've earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you. I want to I do this with you, with my disciples. This passage speaks so potently to the heart of our God. So many incredible things are happening uh, with this one dinner. He's about to die and he knows it. But this dinner with them is on his heart. What I want to do uh, for the next little while together is I want to give you three observations about the table. So if you're a note taker, three observations about his table, but also about your table, about really any table. I want you to get three things here. This is really uh, some important stuff that I think, again, if we latch onto, it changes our hearts and it can change our neighborhood. Here's the first one. That the table means value. The table means value. So when, when, when two or more people are gathered at a table, you're sitting down. You have now taken time to, to stop moving forward and to be stationary and to sit down. You have made time for someone. You are also sitting down and you are able to now look eye to eye with somebody, look in somebody's face. And if you're doing hospitality right, I believe you're also picking up the tab. You're providing for someone. You're saying, you are worthy of my time. You are worthy of my investment. You are worthy of my attention. And that's what Jesus says with the table. It's Passover table. He says, I want to do this, but I want to do it, yes, because it honors the Lord, of course, but it, it also, I want to do it with you. Now, one could argue, well, you know what, Josh, that's, that's really rich and it's, it's important, and that applies to, to them, those, those particular disciples. Yeah, 
But it does apply to every single one of us here today who, who choose to follow Jesus as Lord. Later that night, Jesus goes and he, he goes off to a place and he prays his high priestly prayer. It's recorded in John 17. Such a, an amazing uh, prayer. And there, here, here is, here's what it says. His prayer is recorded. There he, he specifically says, when I'm talking about the disciples, he says, I'm not just talking about them. God, he's praying to God. He says, I'm talking about those who would believe in me through their word. So that's you. So, so the stuff that he's talking about specifically to the disciples and as he prays his heart for the disciples, he's not just talking about them. He's, he's talking about those who would believe in him through their word. Every single one of us, is, this is his heart. He earnestly desires to eat with you. He, he earnestly desires for you to sit close with him, to, to walk with him. And you might say, you know, Josh, that, that sounds really cute, really nice. But if he knew me, he wouldn't. Like, you just don't even know. You know, he, he, he wouldn't. All the times I've screwed up, all the things that I've done, uh, the way I've acted towards him. I'm, I'm a repeat offender. I show up to church and kind of like, oh man, this is, these are not my people. I don't fit in here. But, uh, listen, I, I know. You're messed up. And I'm messed up. Like, I get it, right? It makes no human sense, the, the, the desire of Jesus for us. It makes no human sense. One of these disciples that he's sitting at table with has already sold Jesus out for chump change. It's already taken place. And he's going to get up and, and, and he's going to go get the people and they're going to they're take Jesus out. His best friend, his best friend of the, the disciples, Peter, is about to deny him three times as if he never even knew the man. The third time, so emphatically, it says that he begins to cuss and swear. Like, may God send me to hell if I even knew the man. And yet he's saying, I want to hang out with you tonight. I know what you're going to do, but I want to hang out with you tonight. I love you. I want to, I want to be with you. I earnestly desire. All of these disciples later this night are going to completely bail on him in his, his moment of greatest distress prior to the cross. And, and they're all going to take off running like, like little, little babies. If I were arrested and I'd gone through all that stuff, or if I even, like, like Jesus, knew what was about to, to take place, I would not earnestly desire to eat with them. You might have been in a situation where you don't want to hang out with them, but you kind of get forced to, you got to see that person at that wedding because we got family or whatever. And, and you don't want to earnestly, you don't want to be with them at all. He says, I earnestly desire, right? If I were him, I would earnestly desire to punch Judas in the face. I would earnestly desire to, to not be sitting anywhere near Jerusalem, but be on the road back to, to Egypt to flee what's coming, just like happened in, in his childhood. I would earnestly desire not to be with my disciples, but to be with Mama, right? Like he should be with Mary right now because Mom always knows what to say in the, the difficult times, right? And this isn't, oh, I want to be with you because, yeah, you know, he's God and gods are supposed to be benevolent. No, this is earnest. Like, I, I sincerely care for you. I sincerely value you. Listen, every time you come to the Lord's table and you partake of communion, we do it in remembrance of Him. So it is all about Him. But at the same time, there is this element of He wants you to know that, hey, you're invited because I love you, because I care for you, because I value you. I want you to, to be provided for. I want you to know my love. I want you to know my grace. Yes, I know every single failure that you have ever done. I know it and I still want you here. Every time you come to the table, you're thinking about the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus and the atonement for sin and the fact that he says, I want you, you, 
specifically you right here. I see you. I'm interested in you. And the God of the universe has not forgotten you. Now read on, picking up in verse 16. I earnestly desire to eat with you before I suffer. Verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. So he knows what's about to happen. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. It's clear that Jesus is aware that this is his last meal, his last drink until it's accomplished. And then I'll have the next cup in the kingdom of God when it's fulfilled. But he is resolved in his heart to accomplish it. It's clear that he knows that there are traitors at the table with him, but he is resolved in his heart that he will give his body for them and for you and that he will shed his blood for them and for you. In the midst of scandal, in the midst of betrayal, he's not bailing like so many people in our lives when it gets tough relationally. He says, no, I'm gonna stick in there because that's who I am. That's how I roll. I, I want you here. I'm not bailing on you. This is the new covenant. This is the new way of love. This is, this is the love that, that is, is God love. This is Jesus style love. This is, this is new covenant love. This is love that is not based on you earning it, doing anything to deserve it. This is God's kind of love that is given without condition because it's given based on the host, not given based on the worthiness of the guest. That's how God rolls. And, and he says, I want you to come regularly back to me. The, the 1 Corinthians 11 will tell you to do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. It doesn't tell us how often. So some people will do it every single time they gather. That's great. Some churches will do it once a quarter. We do it once a month. We do it as often. It doesn't say how often, but just do it with some regularity so that you can regularly come back and do this in remembrance of the love of Jesus because you're going to need to know it. You're going to need to be reminded of it. We do this regularly, not forsaking this, because we need to be reminded that when everybody else's love is conditional, his is not. And when, when people value us when we perform, kind of like in the workplace or in, in the school where you get a grade, that's not how it works with God. In the midst of all of this craziness over here, he says, I'm level, I'm steady. My love does not change for you. This is how I roll so good. Come back, think on this. One of my favorite life change stories in the, in the Bible is the story of Levi. You know the story of Levi? He's also known as, as Matthew. And uh, I want you to listen, listen to his story in Luke chapter 5. It's just a few quick verses, so just kind of as an aside here. Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32. Uh, here's what it says. It says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector, he being Jesus, saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes, those are the religious zealot type people, they grumbled at Jesus and his disciples, saying, 
Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. If you don't need me, all right, I've come for the people who realize that they need me and realize that they're, they're sinful. Here's a guy, Levi, who everybody in the neighborhood straight up hated. Everybody knew that guy. He had a booth set up and he was collecting taxes. Here's what that means. It means he was a traitor because he's a, he's a, he's a boy who was born in Israel, raised in Israel, and then he flip-flopped and started working for the oppressing Rome, the, the occupying Rome. He said, I'll, that's a good gig over there. I get a lot of money. And yeah, they might hate me, but whatever, forget them. And he takes this job and here's how it worked. If your tax bill said $250, he, you would come up to the tax booth to pay your bill and he would say, it says right here that you owe $400 and he would bank $150. That's dirty. Who would hate him? Anybody? Like, I would not like that guy. Let's just be straight up. Let's be honest. He bailed on our people. He's working for the enemy, and, uh, and he's taking our money. And if we don't pay him, he can have us killed, by the way. So you had to pay him. It wasn't like, forget you, fool. No, he, they, you had to pay. You had to pay. He was a sellout. He was a traitor, right? But on this day, Jesus shows up into his town. And Jesus walks up to the tax booth. And he says, I choose you. He chooses the person that none of us would have chosen. We like to think we're, we're nice and gracious. But he, no, he chooses the person not a single one of us would have chosen because he killed some of our people. He's stolen our money. He's a complete scumbag. He's a traitor. Jesus says, I choose you. You follow me and you be one of my 12. That's crazy. Now, I remember high school baseball tryouts and, and we would have a week of tryouts and then uh, after the, the week of tryouts, the, very fa- the next Monday at 7.30 in the morning, our coach in the locker room would put the list, tape it to the wall. He'd come out of his office, which was in the back of the locker room, and he would take that list and he would tape it to the wall. And he would tape it to the wall and all the guys would come running. We'd be there early waiting and we'd come running up to the, 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 the list of who made the team on the wall. And, and the way it would work is we'd all come running and one guy who's more assertive would go shh, 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 shh. And he would, he would get to the list and he would read the names off the list. Anybody have this experience? Read the names off the list one at a time. Say, okay, 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 here we go. We got, we got Nick. And all the guys go, yeah, boy, right? And we got, we got, we got John. Yes, sir, right? And we got, we got Bubba. We had a guy named Bubba. We got Bubba. All right, all right. And we just go through the name. We got Steve. Yeah, man. And people are just going crazy, right? And, and, and then every now and again, not every year, but some of the years, coach would pull a straight up Bill Belichick. Right? And he would put somebody on the team that you're like, really? Right, really? That guy? But you just got to trust that he knows what he's doing. He's doing, you know, he's a chess master. And, and so you get to that name and there would be like this collective sigh. Right? Nick, yeah. Steve, all right. Brad, yeah, boy. John, yes, sir. Bubba, here we go. Josh Wyatt? Like, what? Are you, really? Like, are you sure, coach? You should... Be the water boy or something, but most certainly that's how it would have been for Levi. You need to understand that's how it would have been for Levi. But because before Levi was chosen to be one of the 12 disciples, there were some other guys. There were Andrew and Peter, they were brothers, and they were fishermen together. And then the next people that Jesus calls, you know who they are? James and John. And they were also brothers, and they were also 
They were fishermen. You, you get a bunch of frat boys, right? They're all similar. They all look the same. You know, they got the short, short khakis and the Sperry's and a polo shirt that's pink, right? And you, you know, that's what, that's what you're getting. You're, you're just getting, and, and then Levi, the tax collector, he's the odd man out, right? Andrew, yeah, boy. Peter, all right. James, here we go. It's going, it's going to be a good season. John, oh, you don't even know. He, he can crush the ball. Levi, you serious? Jesus, have you seen his batting average? He's a switch hitter. He, he hits for Israel and not, not, the, not the other batter's box, the other team. Like he's, he's working for, for Rome, right? Here's, here's the next observation. First, the, the table means value. You need to know that he values you. He loves you. And if he can love Levi, he can love you. He can value you. But secondly, the table means family. Coming to the table means we're, we're around the proverbial table as followers of Jesus, as family. Now the boys, they were, they were a family. These guys, were, they were brothers. They did the same kind of gig together. But Levi was most certainly the odd man out. And the table is where family gathers. We love our family dinners. Get together and, you know, and we, we, it's not beautiful, I can promise you that, but but we, you know, we get to pray together and we get to swap stories and we get to laugh and, and we, get to, we try to talk about Jesus at the table while we've got them like sitting with food in front of them. It's like how we chain them and we can actually get a good time uh, talking about Jesus in with them. And, and Jesus had this odd crew of fellas together, right? And, and, and I was doing some math. Let's do some math together if we can. Three years of ministry with Jesus. Three years worth of meals. I'm gonna guess they probably didn't have three square meals a day because they were, you know, they were lower income, the people that he called out. And so let's, let's just say they had two meals together over 365 days. That's 735 meals a year, or 730 meals a year times three years equals 2,190 meals with Jesus prior to this meal. That's a lot of meals. That's a, that's a lot of food. And can you imagine the first few weeks of meals with Levi and the crew was probably pretty tense. It was probably pretty awkward. It, it was, it was not, not easy, right? People probably weren't sitting near Levi, near Matthew. I, bet, I imagine it kind of be like a lot of those sports films where you got the new guy on the team and he's tackled extra hard at practice, you know, until Denzel Washington arranges his midnight run, right? And anybody know what I'm talking about? And he arranges his midnight run and they go sweating together and there's something bonding about being physical and nearly dying together as men. And then you, you come back and you realize he's not all that different from, from me, right? And, and now they're, but it took some time, right? It took some frustration, I, w- I would imagine. I mean, think about some of the, the tables that Jesus was sitting at during his, his earthly ministry. Think about the characters that he assembled around these tables. There's the wedding at Cana. You guys have been to a wedding. You know there's always like the crazy people at the wedding. And that's entertaining. For those of you who are like me, you're like, I'm not dancing. I'll slow dance to a slow song with my wife so we can do the white man waddle, you know. But other than that, like, it's not happening, right? And so I'll sit back in the fast and I'll just watch the crazy drunk people, right? And so Jesus, he's got this wedding, right? And there's that. And there's the table there that they wouldn't have been together had Jesus, and they would have flee because there's no more wine. They're like, we're out of here, right? And, but Jesus provides the wine. And, okay, I guess we can stay now. And it says the good wine, right? And so he provides that for them. 
There, there's the, the table at Zacchaeus' place. There's the, the, the table with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There's, there's when, when Mary and Martha, the, the whole exchange there, Martha's in the kitchen, and, and Mary's there learning at the feet of Jesus. Women are invited to the table in a culture where women were not invited to the table. And Jesus says, oh, that's not how we roll. Women are invited to the table. She can sit at the feet of Jesus like any other disciple. All the males, she's invited. The, the, the prostitute who shows up uninvited. Crazy people with, with a lot of junk and a lot of baggage and a lot of sin. They're, they're invited. How about, how about the parable of the, the great banquet? I know it's a parable, but this shows Jesus' heart. Here's what he says. He says, you have this great banquet. He says, don't invite your, your friends, your relatives, your brother, your rich neighbors. He says, here's who you invite. You invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. That's who I want at the table. That's what Jesus says. You ever been in a meal, sitting at a table with somebody, and they don't know how to act? You ever brought like one of your family members to a fancy restaurant? They don't know how to act and you're like, you're embarrassing me right now. Stop it. Right. And no manners, elbows on the table, acting crazy, complaining to the waiter. Right. I pray. Seriously, I pray that we would have a, a church full of people like that. I pray that we would have a church full of people who are not churchy at all, because according to Jesus and the great banquet, if we have that going on, we're doing something right. We're doing something right. We have not officially planted a, a church, Charles River Church. You know, this is a new church here. We, we've not officially planted a church when we finally get everybody together and learning how to act churchy and do churchy things and, and, and come to the table in an appropriate manner and behave perfectly and raise your hands perfectly. That's, that's, not, that's not, no. It's not when we get everybody to, to exercise proper language and proper liturgy. The, the gauge for a good worship service is not the, the, the number of people who had their hands raised in worship. I think a good worship service is maybe we got half people in here with their hands raised and they're engaged in worship, but the other half of the people are Bostonians and with their thick Boston accent go, those people are weird, right? Like, what? They're crazy, right? Listen, that's a good worship service because we've got people in here that are like, I don't know, I'm, I, there's some, I'm drawn to this table. I'm drawn to this place. I want to be a part of this family. But this is strange for me. This is uncomfortable for me. I don't fit in here. And then we get to say, oh, no, 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 you're, the, you're the, exactly the kind of person who should be here. And some of you right now, you're here and you're like, I don't know about this stuff. And I want you to know you're, you're the kind of person that we want here. We, we want you here. Jesus wants you at the table. Symbol around this table as a hodgepodge of people. And listen, a church is not a bunch of people who look the same. Look around. Praise God we don't look. We are way different on every level. Socioeconomically, ethnically, languages, and, and, and generationally. It's been a, a massive answer to prayer. We are so different. And, and, and yet we're gathered and we're unifying ourselves, increasingly unifying ourselves around Jesus. Around the table, we are a family who come together because of what Jesus has set before us with his body and his blood. We're all looking to the cross. We're all looking to the cross. We're all looking to the cross. And so we have permission, uh, position uh, as, as family. We, we have that positionally, right? Now we have to live that out practically. You've heard me talk about sanctification a lot. That is holiness, same thing, right? That you, when you give your life to Jesus, you are holy, he looks at you, he declares you as holy, he treats you as holy. But then you have to learn how to live holy. You have to learn how to practice that out. 
Right? You've heard the, 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 the old, old story, the illustration of the, the king who goes into the village and he sees this poor boy in the slums and, and he's eaten off the ground mud pies and the king says, come on in, be a part of my family. He adopts him immediately. As soon as the king adopts him, he is positionally royalty. They get back to the palace and the, king, the kid's all <laughs> slobbing food, he, elbows on the table, maybe his foot on the table, who knows? Or he doesn't know how to behave. He's not acting like royalty. Positionally, he's royalty. Practically, he's got to learn how to live as royalty. That's sanctification, but that also plays out for, for church's family. Like if we all gather to, around the table of Jesus and we're all looking to Jesus, we are family positionally, immediately. But now practically, we've got to live that out. We've got to figure that out, and it's not easy. We're going to fumble a bit. We're going to struggle a bit. We're going to say some stuff like, did he just say that? Did, did Really? We're going we're gonna to make some mistakes. We've got to learn how to live as family. We've got different, we've got different age ranges. We've got different incomes. We've got different uh, skin colors and cultures. And we, some of us vote differently, right? And, and yet we're all unified around Jesus. And we've got to figure this thing out, how to walk together. And we've got to continue. To, to, it, it's, it's, it can be uncomfortable. It can feel a little awkward, right? Because what's natural for us in the human flesh is to drift towards people who are like us and, and, and language is assumed and, and cultural things are just, it's easy. And college students hang out with college students because we talk about the same thing, how stressed out we are, right? And, and parents get together and hang out with just parents and we just talk about the same thing, how we have no sleep, right? And that's just how it works, right? That's, that's comfortable, right? It's, it's like walking. It's comfortable to do this. But have you ever tried to do the... Uh, the butterfly swimming, right? Where both arms are moving at the same time and then the feet are kicking. Every, my, Becky's parents have a pool and sometimes we'll try that. It's the weirdest thing ever. That's not natural. This, this, like, I'm, I'm conditioned to do this, right? This, but, but if we don't give up and we keep fighting for it, by the grace of God, we, we'll figure this thing out. And then other people will come in and we'll fumble around and they'll fumble around and, and by the grace of God and patience, we're a forbearing family, right? It's unnatural, but we will get there as we keep looking to the head of the table, Jesus. And they got there, Jesus' disciples, and they weren't even there yet at the end of the three years. I would hope, I would like to believe that, that Levi was brought in and the boys treated him pretty well by, by the end of three years. But if you, if you were to look, look, at, look at Luke 22 again, if you were to look to the next section of what we just read, Luke chapter 22, the next section, they're hanging out at table. Jesus is about to die. He wants to be with them. He wants them to be with each other around this table, his family. And what do they start doing? They start arguing about who's the greatest. Like, right, he, right, Jesus, remember, like, I'm better. Remember that I'm better than, than, than Levi, right? You remember what he was doing, right? You remember where, where I came from and where he came from? Like, I was a little better than him. I wasn't perfect, but I was definitely better than him. You know what I mean? So, like, when we get to heaven, you know, like, let me sit closer to you, right? And, right? That's what they started doing. So they're definitely not there yet. Hopefully, they've made some progress. But you know when they do get there, you know when we see that it really starts to take off? A few weeks later, Jesus dies. He resurrects. He appears for 40 days. And then they're in the same room, most likely, in the upper room. And they're praying, and the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit unifies them. And 
the Holy Spirit causes them to speak in languages that are not their own language so that it's uncomfortable for them. And now, hey, well, you're all mixed up now. You're just going to trust me, and I'm going to unify you. We need God's Spirit to do this with us, to, to bind us as family, because it is so beyond us. It is so beyond us. But what I do know is while the world is freaking out about racial tension right now and about all the divides that, that's all over the place, we got the answer. It's Jesus. Jesus is the unifier. It's Jesus. He unifies us and he sends us out with a mission. They were unified when, when the Spirit of God came and says, okay, now you go and you, you share. You, you share the Spirit. Jesus unifies us and the mission of Jesus unifies us, which leads to our third and final observation. And that is that the table means responsibility. The table means responsibility. If, you, if, if you're living with people who are starving, and you come across the source of food, and you don't bring your starving family and friends and neighbors to the source of food, there's something really wrong, right? Something really messed up with you. You live in a third world country, and a well is dug. Where is everybody gathering at? The well, right? They're all hanging out at the well. So back to Luke chapter 5 with Levi. What does he do after he gets the privilege to follow Jesus? It says that he has a great feast set up at his house and a large company of his, his tax collector friends and others come and they hang out at the table with Levi and Jesus and those other boys who I imagine are probably sitting in the corner like, what is going on right now? Who are we hanging out with right now? Jesus puts you in some uncomfortable positions. What does Levi do? He gets to sit at the table with Jesus and then he brings all his friends to hang out with Jesus, to sit at the table with Jesus. A bunch of friends who are not very polished. Let's say that. Their language in that room was probably not very G. It was not a, a kid-friendly church ministry kind of environment. It, it, was a, it was a sticky scenario. But Levi felt the responsibility as a tax collector who got the opportunity to, to sit with Jesus and be a part of Jesus' family to bring others to be a part of that family. Because if not Levi, then who? And that's the question every single one of us need to ask about the people that God has put you around in, in, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, in those civic organizations that you volunteer with, whatever it may be, the, your children's school. You've got to ask the question, well, if not me, then who? Because the answer is it's you. God says it's, it's you. Who's going to reach those tax collectors? Levi, obviously. Who's going to reach your neighbors? You, obviously. It's, it's you. It's you're responsible to bring other people to the table. This is a big week for Boston, right? Like, you guys have a good time watching the World Series? And, I mean, that was so fun. I, I mean, I'm a baseball. I just love baseball. We are the 2018 World Series champions. We had a big parade. It was so fun. Now, I'll never forget my very first time at Fenway Park. Some of you, you remember your first time at Fenway Park? So cool. I love, I love that. I remember the experience of, of jumping on the green line and being crowded with all these people who are wearing their, their, their Red Sox gear. And then you get off at the green line Fenway stop right there and the walls are all painted, uh, Red Sox and, and Fenway. And, and then I remember walking through the crowds and, and getting to Lansdowne Street, now, uh, what is it, Jersey Street, right? And so get there and then uh, I, I'll never forget the sound of just all the music and the, the performers and the people standing and selling, you know, Italian sauce 
sausages and, and, and programs for, you know, 20 bucks for a little thing, you know, all this. I'll never forget the smell of the, the, the food. I'll never forget the, the cramming through the corridors of this tiny little baseball park, the smallest one in, in all of Major League Baseball, but yet the energy and the excitement of the stadium was in, incredible, right? And then, and then finally getting to that point where you walk up the stairs to see the park and you walk up those stairs and the light breaks through and it's, ah, and it's, it's so amazing, right? And now I finally get to sit down and, and I'll, get, I'll take one of those Italian sausages and you finally you sink your teeth into what you've been smelling for the past 20 minutes, right? It's, it's just an amazing experience. But here's what happens. That was so fun. A decade goes by. And it kind of starts to lose, you know, its luster, right? It, it becomes comfortable. It becomes familiar. It's not like this amazing, overwhelming experience anymore. It's fun. I love it. But it's just not all that, that powerful. But then something changed. We had kids. And I remember having my, my son with me his very first time at Fenway. And him going on the train with me. And riding the green line and looking a little bit nervous as we're shaking along. And, and then we get to the, the stop and he looks at all the, you know, the, the cute cartoony uh, Red Sox stuff painted on the wall. And then walking over to Lansdowne Street and, and, and hearing the music and he's looking around excited. It's so cool. And buying him a program and big poppy posters uh, fold out in the middle of the program and, and I remember going in there and, and walking through the crowded corridor and showing him the hall where you have all the different uh, progression of Red Sox logos and, and him checking that out and taking photos and I remember getting to the stairs and I'm thinking this is the moment this is the moment and we're, we walk up the stairs together and ah and where am I looking I'm not looking at the field where am I looking I'm looking at his little face amazing I'll change for me again and then we go and we, we get our seat and we sit down and I'm like, hey, Italian sausage for this little guy right here. This is his first game. This is my boy's first game right here. We're all excited. And anybody ever had you know, somebody want you to try some kind of piece of food and they watch you awkwardly as you, <laughs> you're like, stop looking at me. And, and he, goes, he goes to bite into this, this Italian sausage with peppers and onions and mustard and, and mustard all over his face. And I'm watching him like, right, right? It's so good, right? That's, that's when it changes. When you get to bring somebody else along. For some of you in here, man, you, this church has become familiar. And that's just what happens when you do this thing over and over and you're a part of this. It can become familiar, right? But everything changes again when you get to bring somebody to the table. Imagine Levi. I just imagine Levi bringing his boys to, to hang out with Jesus and he's probably like, right? Like, he's so cool, right? He's amazing, right? And they, he brought his boys to the table. Everything changes. Some of you remember your early days with Jesus. and Just, just incredible. And how hungry you were for the scriptures. And, and you just wanted to pray and read your Bible and, and be with him. But some of you know how you, kinda can, you can kind of lose your, your first love. And, and it goes from incredible to comfortable. Here's how you can change that. You can move to the kitchen. If you move to the, the kitchen, and yes, you get to sit at the table, but now you get to set the table. Game changer. Absolute game changer. Like Levi, you get to bring your family, your friends, your coworkers, and you get to say, right? Right? He's so good. It's life-changing. 
Some of you in here, you've never sat at the table, so to speak, with Jesus. Jesus is saying to you this morning, saying, I earnestly desire to eat with you. I earnestly desire for you to receive my provision of my death on the cross and my blood that was shed for you. I love you and I died for you. Greater love is no one than this and that they would lay down their lives for their friends. He laid down his life for you. Let that give you a sense of value. Let it also give you a sense of you get to be brought into a family. Some of you, you're, you're, you feel isolated, you feel alone in this big old city. And, and he's saying, listen, you can have family. Because if we're all looking to Jesus, we're all looking to God as Father, we're family. And you get to be brought in. And so some of you today, the invitation is, would you sit at table with Jesus? Would you receive what he has done for you, the, the death of Jesus on the cross? He lived a perfect life, sinless. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means because of our sin, that what we earn is death. But, but the Bible says that, that Jesus, he, he knew no sin, but he became sin on our behalf so that we could have the righteousness of God in him. That means that Jesus died the death of a sinner that we deserved. He did it in our place so that if we trust in what he's done for us, we can be made right with God. Become a Christian. That's the call. Trust in Jesus. You don't have to live a life of feeling like you've got to perform and earn everybody's favor because you got the favor of the God of the universe. You just have to, in faith, say yes to the invitation. So that's some of you today. Others of you today, you did that. You've been walking with Jesus maybe for some time now, but it's, it's not that he's less amazing, but he's familiar. But I can tell you what. I brought my son to the park. I remember bringing my brother to the park. I remember bringing my dad to the park. I remember bringing some friends to the park for the first time and just watching them over and over. Right? Right? It's such an amazing experience. And that's what you need, to, you need to do. You need to be a, a, a table setter. You need to bring people to the table. And God's put some people on your heart, even this morning, that you're, he's saying, it's no coincidence that you sit in a cubicle next to them. It's no coincidence that they're your neighbor. It's no coincidence that they're, they're showing interest in your life like they want to become a friend. It's no coincidence that that, that, that that person's your longtime family member and they don't want anything to do with Jesus, but I got something for them. I, I do want to be with them. And, and it's no coincidence. And God's saying, you need, to, you need to invest. You need to pray. You need to invite. You need to invite again. You need to invite again because someday they're going to say yes. And someday they're going to be able to sit at table with Jesus. You just be faithful. He set a place for them, and you can bring them. Would you guys close your eyes for just a moment? In the quietness of this moment, I just want to invite you to think about where you're at, what God's speaking to your heart. Maybe God's tugging at your heart, and you're realizing, you know what, I've, I've never taken a seat at the table with Jesus. As we pray and as we respond in song, would you partake in this relationship with Jesus and trust in what he's done for you? Realize your need for him and his death in your place and trust in it. Maybe for you, you come and you partake of communion for the very first time as a, as a, a step forward of saying, you know what, yes, I received your death for me. I want to be made right with God. You become a Christian. And others of you in here, you know that you're not a table setter. You enjoy the benefits of Jesus. 
and you like Jesus, and you love Jesus, and you, you're with Jesus, and he's looking at you, and he's taking time for you, but you're not taking time for anybody else. It's about you. And he's inviting you. Be a table setter. So God, do your work in our hearts this morning. Show us what you're, you're saying to us and how you want us to respond. We love you. We commit this time to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.